0: See You Now is a podcast highlighting the innovative and human-centered solutions that nurses are coming up with to solve for today's most challenging healthcare problems, created in collaboration with Johnson & Johnson and the American Nurses Association, and hosted by nurse economist and health tech specialist, Shauna Butler.
1: 5% of the population in the United States represents 50% of the costs in the healthcare system. So this small group of people are representing the highest amount of cost and also the greatest opportunity for really looking at how can we link systems together better how can we provide a better option if you start with what matters most and work from there you'll really get much farther and that means understanding people's story at the deepest level asking and listening for things that we traditionally don't Do you have access to medications? Do you have a ride to get to the appointments you need? Do you have a safe place to live? The solution comes in collaborating. I was able to follow more than 3,000 people in the complex care center model that I built because I was doing it collaboratively. I could never have done that alone. If we strengthen the ecosystem, if we truly work on root cause, we actually decrease the complexity and it takes the problem down to a solvable size.
2: Welcome to See You Now. I'm Shauna Butler. Complex care is, well, complex without necessarily knowing it as a discipline we're all familiar with and touched by the faces, lives and stories of complex care. They are people of all ages in our neighborhoods, faith communities, schools, homeless shelters, living on our streets and park benches and beloved family members in our homes who experience a range of medical, legal, behavioral, social, housing, employment and transportation problems or crises Sometimes, they are cascading events, with one thing precipitating or compounding the other. Other times, they occur in cyclical, recurring, or a relapsing fashion. And sometimes, they just happen all at once. The U.S. spends more on healthcare than any other industrialized nation. And so much of that spending is concentrated on a small percentage of the population for whom behavioral health, housing, and social needs are major contributors to poor health, unstable lives, and disconnection from family and community. In this episode, we meet a nurse who uses data and an array of community partners to discover, by name, the people with the most complex situations. And we learn that by listening deeply to their stories, asking the less common health questions about housing and transportation, and bringing together the family of social services key in addressing their circumstances, then indeed, complexity becomes simplified, big problems get solved, and lives and communities grow stronger. Hi,
1: I'm Lauren Hardin, nurse and senior advisor for National Healthcare and Housing Advisors and the Illumination Foundation. I've spent the better part of 20 years working with complex populations, partnering with communities, patients, providers, working on building stronger ecosystems to really improve care in complicated situations. I've worked with everyone from hospice, palliative care, children's palliative care, all different populations, communities, states, governments, multi-site health systems, helping them to build programs, interventions, connected systems to really improve care for some of the most underserved and complex populations in our country. Complex care has been emerging as a field, and the definition is really people who are are cycling in and out of multiple systems and their needs aren't necessarily being met by the existing resources. So maybe people that have a combination of things happening, like someone who is 35 years old with serious persistent mental illness, like schizophrenia, who has had multiple incidences of psychosis. Ended up getting arrested by the police when they were psychotic, might have a felony record, unable to get a job because they have a felony record and is homeless and doesn't have access to behavioral health care because they can't work because of the felony record. And so they're constantly cycling in and out of systems and unstable. Or it might be an older adult who is alone and has multiple medical conditions and has limited access to transportation and food insecurity and is lonely and needs
2: a different kind of coordinated approach. How does complex care show up in our youth and our adolescents?
1: There's populations of, of kids with rare diseases or complex conditions where they're intersecting with multiple systems like healthcare behavioral health, social systems. And then there's also kids who've experienced tremendous trauma. There's kids who are homeless who would fall into that category. There's kids who've been in and out of the foster care system. So a history of trauma is often a common theme that drives the intersection with multiple systems and also instability.
2: These are hard cases of extremely sad sets of circumstances. There are also complex care where people have resources and they also have family support systems, and yet it still remains complex. What are some of those stories?
1: Yeah, and I think this is where it touches everyone. So, my mom had MS and dementia, and we had tremendous resources. Many of my family members are in healthcare or in law, they understand systems, they understand how to navigate things. Mm-hmm. But because of my mom's multiple conditions, she had multiple specialists. She had lots of changes happening in her physical condition. She was paralyzed during a period of time. She had multiple medications. She was in and out of residential care. And trying to coordinate that amongst agencies that didn't talk to each other, that didn't have one shared plan of care, and that didn't understand her whole story, could be an entire full-time job. And that's what it became for us, trying to navigate that for her.
2: Can you give some data and some numbers? I think anybody listening would say, oh, I know that person. Oh, I've been part of that care. I've seen where that happens. To your point, complex care, we're all touched by it in some way. But when we start taking a look at the numbers, how many people are impacted, the costs in terms of emotion and the economy and the demands that are placed on our healthcare system, how do you describe in data and statistics complex care?
1: I think the most compelling statistic is that 5% of the population in the United States represents 50% of the costs in the healthcare system. So this small group of people are representing the highest amount of cost and also the greatest opportunity for really looking at how can we link systems together better? How can we provide a better option for this group? So healthcare now is 18% of GDP. That's a huge impact on our economy in every direction. So understanding how do we stabilize those costs? How do we serve those populations better? And create systems that actually integrate and provide health and healing is really worth investing
2: in. What would be the best way to approach this question around Models that address the complex care and the complex populations. Um, yeah, as you say, it's such a big, <laughs> complex question. So many words. Are, I know. What are the simple things that we can do to remove complexity in our healthcare system for everybody? Let's start there.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, one thing is really understanding people's story at the deepest level. And that means asking and listening for things that we traditionally don't. So we're well-trained to listen to medical needs, but we haven't in the past always asked about, do you have a safe place to live? Do you have access to medications? Do you have a ride to get to the appointments you need? Those are really simple questions that anyone would say, well, of course you ask them, but we don't universally across the healthcare system. And then the second really easy thing is thinking about for people who have more complex needs, who else is intersecting with this person? So not just my primary care doctor or hospital, but is there a behavioral health provider? Is there a faith community? Is there a community health worker? Are there other agencies that are intersecting with this person? And how do we come together around a shared table to create an integrated plan of care? That's what I want when I'm getting healthcare. I want my providers to be talking to each other, and it's very possible to do. And there are structures emerging for that, and also payment emerging for that. And then, really, um, starting as well with what matters most to the person. So we can be very good in healthcare at coming up with checklists and things to do and assignments for people when they're sick, but. If you start with what matters most to this person and work from there, you'll really get much farther with stabilizing the situation
2: and really meeting their needs. Can you tell us the story of Charlie as a uh, participant in project restoration in Clear Lake, California?
1: So Charlie is such a tremendous teacher. So... As a a community member in Clear Lake, he was well known. He had many, many hospital visits, 911 calls, police visits for public disturbances. And people in Clear Lake knew who Charlie was, but they didn't have a coordinated approach to come together and talk with Charlie about what mattered most to him and what he really needed. We set up a collaborative in, in Clear Lake that involved healthcare, social services, police, EMS, fire, and together they reached out to Charlie. And instead of trying to get Charlie to obey the rules or follow a checklist, they brought Charlie socks and some water in the park and just asked Charlie to tell his story and what mattered most to him. So the first part was reaching out to him differently. And what they found out when they got to know Charlie is he had actually been a pillar of the community. He'd been an AA sponsor, he'd had a successful business. He was a leader in the community and had lived there for many years. People weren't seeing him as that because he was homeless and he was having this whole cycle of access with all these different systems. And when they asked him his story and got to know him better, what mattered most to him was being seen and heard and accompanied in a different way. So they helped him get housing, they helped him get access to treatment. And then the thing that really mattered to him was reconnecting with his family and they helped him do that as well. His visits to the hospital went way down, the 911 calls went way down, the jail days went way down and the police responses went way down. But most importantly, it was connected back to his family. What the community did from that is learn about a different way to approach people, but also how to build different systems in that community to actually meet the needs sooner for people. They built things like transitional housing and a shared services center and collaborative structures where they came together to serve many people in that community and build resources in the community that prevented more people from becoming complex.
2: As you're describing that story, Charlie is one. And when you multiply that by the thousands of people who are experiencing homelessness or have fallen out of care, fallen basically out of society in many ways, this sounds like an incredibly expensive approach that I would imagine that some of the folks listening to this think, wow, as as wonderful and as beautiful as that sounds and aspirational <laughs> we can't afford to do that. We've <laughs> had
0: those conversations, right? Lauren?
1: Yes. Well, the irony is we almost can't afford not to do it because we're spending so much more money in all these separate systems, responding over and over to a crisis we're not solving. So we're spending all kinds of dollars, not only in the healthcare system, but behavioral health and city and county government for these same people and by by not attending to what's really needed. And it's actually less expensive to deliver this, and it frees up more resources. So think of if you stabilize that 5% and you release 50% of the cost in the healthcare system, you have a tremendous amount of resource to um, redirect towards permanent change in communities.
2: So intuitively, it all makes sense. Economically, the numbers are there. It drives that from a human-centered approach, just our shared humanity, of course we want to see people who are housed, who are fed, who are connected to the community, who don't feel lonely, who don't feel hopeless. So what are the barriers for all of these different sectors, all of these different agencies to jump in bed together and say, (laughs) let's do this.
1: I think the biggest barrier is people have forgotten how to do this and also feel like they don't have permission to do it. So the first model that I developed in the Trinity Health system in Grand Rapids, I started looking at who were the people that were coming to the hospital most frequently or had the highest cost and what was going on for them. And what I quickly found out is Um, It wasn't only within the hospital that we were going to solve this. They had other agencies involved. They had other community partners. And if I was really going to help them, I needed to collaborate across systems. So I started literally walking across the street where some of these agencies were. (laughs) It wasn't, you know, 20 miles away. It was literally across the street was the homeless services. And and two blocks away was the behavioral health provider. And I got in so much trouble in the beginning.
2: Okay. You got in trouble?
1: Oh, I got in so much trouble. (laughs) Because we weren't supposed to leave the building and we didn't do that. And some of the people I was walking across the street to are actually competitors, you know, in the healthcare marketplace. We don't do that. I had to overcome needing permission and then also demonstrate how this worked and what a difference it made in efficiency and also for the person, the outcomes. So helping people to see how can you do this and why should you do it? is helpful because people have forgotten or don't feel like they have permission. And then payment is helpful. So what's going on in California right now is the redesign of Medicaid. And there's payment now for what they call enhanced care management so that people are paid to provide this additional level of service and pull people together across sectors into a shared plan of care. So first having the concept of how can you do it, why should you do it, how can you do it is part of it. And then the other part that helps on the other end is payment. But it does pay off and reduction in cost and increased efficiency, whether there's a payment source or not.
2: What are the numbers when you talk about the dimensions of um, cost savings, admissions, um, visits? How do you characterize them? So I'll give you the
1: numbers from the model. The return on investment was 23%. Reductions in inpatient and ED visits, unnecessary visits, were greater than 40%. Improvement in housing, behavioral health, substance use, all really strong quality outcomes. In replicating principles of that model in multiple places, it's the
2: same. Very similar numbers. Right. So even if it's not a direct payment, the reduction in services used, it's paying for it by the savings.
1: Yes. And by the providers coming together across sectors, each agency individually isn't trying to solve this complex problem alone. And so I was able to follow more than 3,000 people in the complex care center model that I built because I was doing it collaboratively. I could never have done that alone. So we were helping each other carry the work differently.
2: So one of the things that you said was getting in trouble because they were competitors. And oftentimes when we're trying to develop partnerships or coalitions, there's a a reticence or a concern of how does this impact the services that we provide? How does this impact our revenue streams? What are some of the conversations that you, you have found effective and successful in helping people who might not partner together see the advantages of partnering? So I think a
1: lot about, you know, uh, the polarity of competition and collaboration. They are linked, and they both exist. And so when I'm working with communities or organizations trying to bring people together, the first thing I'm looking for is what is the bridge? So what part of this problem do they share? What's the pain point that they share? Or it's worth it enough for them to come together to at least share around the issue that's a pain point.
2: When we use the word or the term models of care, name and describe those models. Because I don't know that people really understand a model of care would be who's providing the care, where does it get provided, how does it get provided, how is it being funded or paid for. And there are many different ways to approach these complex needs, complex systems, complex communities or complex situations, I think, really.
1: Yes. The model that I built in Trinity Health was focused on a complex care center. So a centralized resource where anyone could refer someone that had complexity, um, high utilization, high cost, complex needs. And I also looked for people who were like that in the data that I could pull. And then I reached out intentionally to the person to understand what was happening to them, convened people across systems to develop a shared plan of care, and collectively met their needs and integrated that shared plan of care in the electronic health record so everyone could become part of the solution. Communities like Clear Lake have taken a similar principle where the community comes together And that model looks at shared data across systems, the high 911 calls, police calls, jail days, healthcare, and looks for who are the most vulnerable people in our community. How can we reach out individually to help those members? And then how can we take the lessons we've learned from those individuals and translate that into process improvements in the community? The same in Memphis. So the One Health model that we built was focused on the uninsured population. How can we proactively reach out to all the uninsured people accessing the health system, link services together, help the person individually, but start to build pathways, to help people have access that weren't there before. So for example, if you're uninsured, it's incredibly hard to get behavioral health or substance use treatment. So they're intentionally building different pathways that didn't exist before to stop more people from developing complexity. When you say pathway, what is a pathway? With One Health, what they did is they reached out in the community to find a behavioral health provider that was willing to create a coordinated response for the uninsured. Their pathway looks like the person's identified in the health system with complexity needing access. They meet together and do a case conference to understand the situation. They link the person rapidly to that organization that they built a partnership with, and then they simultaneously together work on funding sources and access to benefits to also support that person. So rather than the person languishing, not getting the care they need, repeatedly cycling between systems, they proactively are are looking for people with that and then connecting them immediately into an integrated system. So some places I'm working with, there's tables with the sheriff and judges and community health workers and the city mayor's office and healthcare and social services all coming together to proactively look at what is our food security system in our community? How can we increase access? How much affordable housing do we have in our community? And how can we invest in building more? What happens for lonely and isolated seniors in our community? The pandemic has really taught us to think more about our neighbors because our health has been dependent on how healthy our neighbors are. Mm -hmm. And their needs have been so much more prevalent with everything that's happened with the pandemic. So I have a lot of hope that these collaborative structures are just going to grow and get even more powerful to address the problems.
2: In this healthcare landscape that has become virtual first, digital first, using technology, for so many people, they're not gonna go to an office or an office is not available to them. It doesn't really address their needs of accessibility. So in complex care, what is the role of technology play? And I'm I'm thinking very specifically when you talk about your five elements that are essential to a complex care model's adoption, One of the first things that you talk about is data.
1: Data is so exciting with what's happening. So instead of waiting for problems to happen and blow up, and then we find it in the data later, we can use data now to find problems before they become really big. We can find people who have needs and data sets with some of the technology we have now to reach out before things are a nightmare. We can also use artificial intelligence and NLP to start looking for patterns in data that's not as easily accessible. So things like social determinants of health and other social needs and really looking at how can we case find people with needs and provide them before they become major crises. And then how can we utilize all of the great telehealth options and for th- how people want to access their health care people don't want to get childcare or complex transportation or leave their job to go to a doctor's appointment <laughs> they'd rather do it in technology and telehealth has been really successful with behavioral health and access to people and then we can start to use some of those technology platforms for building community so some of them have been very successful with people having a sense of belonging and being connected to a community of support so i think there's a lot of different ways technology will emerge and also will free up time for us in ways where we can spend more time in the things that matter the most
2: I laugh when you say that because technology has always had that promise of it'll free up time. It never frees up time. It just gives us the ability to do more within the time. True. (laughs) The expectations just go up. So, so yeah, Yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to buy into that with Lauren. (laughs) That's uh, my great uh, hope. One of the things that I am most intrigued by is a movement that's understanding that being at risk for becoming homeless, that is a key moment to do things that have not been traditionally thought of as health care. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to say more about that?
1: Yeah. One of the programs or projects I'm really excited about is in Louisville, Kentucky. In the poorest zip code, the faith communities have come together from the African-American churches and said, we want to build something different. So think of where you go when you're starting to get in trouble. And it's maybe to a pastor or a minister or a faith leader in your community. So they're hearing about things before it's a complete disaster, but yet they don't have equal access to the things we have maybe in the healthcare system or community systems. like. How do you get insurance benefits? How do you get medical legal support? How do you get help with affordable housing? How do you get these lanes of access for support? So what we're doing is building together access to that within the church itself. The lack of affordable housing is such a huge issue in our country. I work with many different communities who are working on homelessness and they are caring for families Who are working full-time and are homeless. or Or they're working with seniors who are homeless. So I just joined National Healthcare and Housing Advisors as a Senior Advisor and the Illumination Foundation. Illumination Foundation is one of the largest integrated healthcare and housing networks to serve people who are homeless. It's a beautiful system where they have everything from street outreach to navigation centers for shelter with integrated primary care, behavioral health, substance use treatment. Those navigation centers serve as a hub and they connect to a community of houses where people transition to permanent supportive housing in small communities of six to eight people with case management and support to get jobs and benefits and stabilization. And then all the way up to a company that builds accessory dwelling units that can be used to quickly stand up affordable housing in markets. So I'll be working with Illumination Foundation, but on the national level, i will be scaling initiatives that serve complex populations, underserved populations, and really being part of how much can we build national scale dissemination of some of the things we know are working and structures that help
2: accelerate that. It feels to me that making sure that people have housing that feels like home is where health starts.
1: It is. Housing is health. And what's really moved forward, especially in the last two years, is the data analytics and the financial analysis that are showing the traumatic impact that housing has, providing that safety and stability, has on reducing healthcare costs and other system costs. And addressing homelessness impacts ED utilization and availability of beds in the hospital. You can show that value case across the community, but the solution comes in collaborating across settings. When they're connected, it's much more efficient. It saves time. There's higher resolution of the problems that are happening for people who are homeless and one system isn't trying to financially solve it.
2: I think so much about how many people I talk to, whether they are a provider in their community or in their local health clinic and the experience of taking care of one patient and one family and the level of frustration that they feel because the system and our procedures and our policies get in the way of getting people what it is that they need and they can't make those decisions to fix it. It requires people many levels of decision-making above them to make changes so that it does work in a way that doesn't (laughs) feel like it's robbing you of the joy of caring for people.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think one theme that I always hold is it goes back to the African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It doesn't matter what room I'm in, whether it's a small rural community looking at solving a complex problem or working with the federal government. how can we come together, connect resources, understand that if we strengthen the ecosystem, if we truly work on root cause, We actually decrease the complexity. We decrease more people from ending up in this
2: very complex situation.
1: So it's worth investing in.
2: At this particular moment where healthcare systems are really crumbling, this model has a couple of really great advantages. You have demonstrated through numbers of emergency visits, of hospitalizations. How do you characterize this wonderful idea as a way to alleviate a lot of the stress and the demands and the needs on our inpatient acute care settings?
1: First of all, I think
2: the principle of
1: thinking that we need to do it alone is what makes everything difficult for all of us. So if you think about what happens when you pull people together who have a shared interest in the problem, you're broadening the shoulders of everyone. And what I've seen time and time again, whether it's case by case with a complex person or whether it's a community taking on homelessness in their community, bringing people together around the table adds energy. It adds more ideas. It adds more resources. And it takes the problem down to a solvable size. So on the acute hospital side, This kind of work saves time. It decreases stress. It improves outcomes. It also impacts finances and utilization and quality and all of the things that we care about. But on a human level, it also results in a different kind of meaning in delivery
2: because there's integration. Give me the story that describes and explains integrated care. So I met one young
1: man named Josh who taught me a lot about this. I met him when I was leading in a complex care center in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he wrote me a letter about his experience with the healthcare system. He had more than 50 emergency room visits across three different hospitals in the city. And the letter went like this. Why I went to the emergency room, loneliness, desperation, The emergency room is like grandma's house. The lights are always on. Someone is always home. And I knew you would do the right thing for me, even when I didn't know what to do. As I got to know Josh, what he taught me is that there were many care managers intersecting with him all across the city. Many different services, including the police and EMS and homeless services and behavioral health and substance use but we did not have a framework for coming together. So what we built in that model was a structure for people to come together across sectors, understand deeply the person's story that we are working with, and figure out together across systems, even across competitors, how could we come together in one integrated plan of care? Doing good becomes easier if you take a 360 degree view and see who else cares about this, who else is intersected here, and how can we
2: work together? So that's the part I think that when we talk about framework and structure, Mm -hmm. all of these partners, people who are in housing, education, jobs, transportation, heating, food, You've put together all of those agencies where they do intersect. What did you put together so now that they can all communicate and collaborate?
1: (laughs) So it started simply with a person and an invitation. So let's take Josh. I looked in the electronic health record. I talked to Josh and I got a laundry list of everyone that was intersecting with him. And then I invited them all to a one hour case conference to talk about What was Josh's story? What were his needs? Who did Josh trust the most? Who did he have the strongest relationship? And who spent the most time with him? Who had the most opportunity for permanent impact? What could our shared plan be? And who could lead? Who was really the trusted relationship for life? And then how could we integrate that plan in our systems? So for my system, we created a pop-up in the electronic health record with a succinct one page summary of what helped Josh and who was on his team. So anyone 24 seven could click a link and get it. Some people had a paper system. Some people had a phone triage on call system. They really depended, but you don't need necessarily technology to do it. You need the concept, and the commitment.
2: It sounds like a big family meeting. It is. It's that, very much like that. Yeah. And My background was in palliative
1: care, right? Which yeah. is hospice, which family meetings are just a core. Right, right. One step towards starting to look at an integrated approach that we did was pull together um, a collaborative of the emergency room director, case managers, the hospitalists, and meet weekly to look together at the most complex individuals accessing our system. It was one hour a week. There wasn't a meeting that those very busy physicians and clinical nurse specialists and NPs and case managers, there wasn't a meeting that people missed because it was so satisfying to actually get to sort of the end of the story where you use your expertise together in an integrated way to actually help someone.
2: That's really remarkable that an hour of a conversation that's coordinating care doesn't require grant proposals, applications or applying for benefits and eligibility. It's an hour of being on the same page and understanding this person's situation and their needs and who's the best person with the existing resources in place to move them into a much better place of help. So another really big system level issue has been the exhaustion and the depletion of our healthcare workforce. Many of them have decided, I don't want to be in the acute care setting. I'm not sure that I even want to be in the profession. When I hear many of those conversations, their frustration comes from, I see people every day, I can't get them what they actually need. I'm either told it's not what we do, it's not something that's available. And so their level of frustration is what oftentimes is driving them to say, I can't take The injury to my soul (laughs) when I I see people in front of me and I know what they need, but I can't make it happen. How is it that what you're doing and that other nurses are doing in moving out into the community, moving further upstream, is a rescue and a restoration of our healthcare workforce, particularly nurses?
1: Where we looked at the most complex cases that were taking a lot of energy and also really we're not getting solved. And we it was so um, hard on the spirits of the people. When we came together and brought all of our different perspectives together, we were able to come up with different ways collectively to help the person. That was so satisfying. So you can do it in the system, but in the community, you can also use the incredible skills from our education as nurses and seeing the whole person to link across sectors to work on systems change in the community further upstream. So how do you prevent people from becoming complex? What are the ways that you can integrate in homeless services? What are ways you can integrate to really address crisis and behavioral health? Those things are really satisfying. And as nurses and other professions, you know, there's a big wide highway of <laughs> opportunity in the community but you can also create that same satisfaction and meaning within the acute care system.
2: Do you advise breaking rules?
1: (laughs) Yes, break rules. (laughs) Yes, I think it's always worth it. Some of the best innovation comes from that and having the courage to do that. And then people realizing that if they want it to be different, it can start with them individually. What rules can you break
2: to make it different? Nurse Rule Breaker and Complex Care Model Builder Lauren Harden is a Senior Advisor for National Healthcare and Housing Advisors and the Illumination Foundation, where she uses data, stories and community partners to discover what complex populations need most and the efficient, person-centered system to provide it. Starting at the root causes of poor health, which often include poverty, trauma, food and housing insecurity, one in every 14 Americans experiences homelessness at some point. The emerging field of complex care is improving health and well-being for people and populations with complex circumstances by digging into the data, reaching outside their respective agencies and services, experimenting, innovating, and iterating with payers, policymakers, and philanthropists on new models to reshape care delivery at the individual, community, and system levels. In healthcare, complex patients typically intersect with a range of county agencies outside the walls of a clinic, from emergency services and criminal justice system to housing and employment services. Integrating and managing care and services across agencies and teams might sound like a navigation nightmare and bureaucratic obstacle course, but as Lauren shares, It's thinking that one agency, provider, or nonprofit can do it alone that makes everything difficult for everyone, that bringing people together broadens everyone's shoulders, rowing in unison adds energy, ideas, and more resources, and there's higher problem resolution when one system isn't solving it alone. And While all this inter- and cross-disciplinary collaboration and integration might sound massively time-consuming and expensive, the irony, as Lauren points out, is we almost can't afford not to do it because we're spending so much more money and time in all these separate systems responding over and over to a crisis that we are not solving. And when you truly know someone's story and what matters to them, it actually takes less time to deliver care, services, and success, prevents them from becoming more complex and homeless, and provides deep professional satisfaction, accompanying people to the full range of services they need for healthy, joyful, connected lives. For See You Now and Low Complexity
0: Living, I'm Shauna Butler.
2: Thanks for listening.
0: Nurses are transforming healthcare through innovation, compassion, and leadership. And Johnson & Johnson is proud to continue its 125-year commitment to champion nurses through recognition, skill building, leadership development, and more. The American Nurses Association is dedicated to building a culture of innovation. Nurses improve the lives of patients and communities through innovative thinking, empathetic connection, scientific rigor, and sheer determination. ANA is proud to support and advocate for our nation's most valuable healthcare care resource, our nurses. For more information on See You Now and to listen to any of the earlier episodes in our library, visit cunowpodcast.com.